You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your copy of God's Word. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to take a pew Bible and find the Gospel of John. We've been walking through the Gospel of John for several weeks now. Look and live, the idea that, that Christ came so that we may have life as we follow uh, the life of Christ through John's gospel that literally is saying, look and live, look and believe, see who I am and understand who I am and embrace who I am so that you may, may live. As we look here at, at chapter 5, we begin a, a transition. Uh, you could almost say that from John chapter 5 through John chapter 12, it's a season of conflict for Christ. He had come and Galilean ministry and uh, when the Jerusalem and in the Galilean ministry and was doing signs and wonders and uh, different things. But now we begin the season of conflict where Christ himself is really standing in opposition to what the world thinks uh, the Messiah should be. And we begin this section all the way through chapter 12 and there's constant opposition of who Christ is. I want to read uh, the first couple of verses and take a pause and then go back and read. So let's look at John chapter 5. I'm going to beginning in verse 16. John 5, 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he had been doing these things on the Sabbath. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus healed a lame man uh, that was by the pool and needing a healing. And so Christ himself healed him. And then he also said, okay, you're healed, go and sin no more. So we get a, a picture of not only a, a physical healing, but a spiritual healing that Christ can give. But he did it on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath originally was created for man to rest. But religion got a hold to it. And the Pharisees and Sadducees got a hold of it. And well, we always pick on the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But let me tell you, let me tell you who got a hold of, of, of what God's desire was? People did. And we love to create our rules, don't we? And so they took that which was good, that God gave a Sabbath, a day of rest after creation. God did not need to rest. The day of the Sabbath was so that the people could rest and acknowledge Him. And so over time people just created all these other rules and things and as we go through the the new testament all this opposition is going against christ and it's really over what man has said and what man has thought and what man has created in their own image so isn't it almost comical that jesus christ did something by healing a man on a day and they're ready to kill him because he did something on a day but hold on and we'll come back to that 
This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working unto now, and I am working. Verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the first reference in John's gospel to the desire the Jews wanted to kill Christ. Because he did something they thought was wrong. And notice there in verse 17, Jesus said, my father is working until now. And in the the context of what they wanted to hear, it would have said, our Father is working unto now. But what Christ did there is Christ, Christ claimed his deity. My Father and I are working to now. And so it's almost just comical, ironic, hypocrisy. I don't know the word to describe it. The Jewish people had been waiting on the Messiah to come to save them. He is standing right before them. And they deny it, they contradict it, and they want to kill him. So I guess they want to get rid of Jesus so the Messiah will come. Well, we always look at that and we wonder, what in the world? And, you know, all I can say is what a great proof and an evidence of what a spiritual dead heart and a dead mind and dead ears look like. That Jesus Christ is standing right before you and you cannot even acknowledge it flash forward till today you cannot read a newspaper you cannot go on an internet site you cannot listen to the news and at some point someone is dying the authenticity of the Christian message they seek to do away with everything that historical, biblical Christianity stands for. And in essence, what they're doing is no different than what the world is doing, no different now than what it does then. It is denying that Jesus Christ is God. The world says there are many ways. Is there? Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh to pay the penalty for our sin with with Travis and Heather Thomas. What a great picture of a husband and a wife and a a mom and dad. If you look at uh, Ephesians, it talks about the the Christ's love for the church as a husband loves a wife. What a great picture of the death and the burial of resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are dead in our trespasses and sin and we are washed away by the water of regeneration through the love and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we we come out of the water as new creations in Christ. I want to tell you something this morning. The only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. But gosh, that sounds so fundamental and narrow. Really? It does, doesn't it? It was narrow and fundamental at that time when Jesus Christ stood right there and they said, we are going to kill him because he is not who he says that he is. But he is who he says that he is. And so think about the Pharisees. I I thought about this. I've really got an eight-hour message, okay? 
I always tell everybody my preaching style, I'm going to write a book. My first book is going to be Preaching Like a Crock-Pot. I just let that thing simmer all week. And the longer it simmers, the tenderer it gets, I hope anyway. Think about our world today. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't read minds. I don't know people's hearts. I can't see your motives. But I wouldn't be surprised if there would be people in our congregation today, people that made a click online and listened to the message later on next week or whatever avenue they're going to hear this message, and they are no different from the Pharisees. They believe that there is a Jesus Christ because he is standing right in front of the Pharisees and we acknowledge that there is a Jesus Christ, that we believe that there was a real historical figure of Jesus Christ and we even think he is capable of doing great things. The Pharisees knew he had done great things. They had witnessed these miracles, but they deny who he was. They deny what he came to do and they denied how it affected their life. And we do the same thing today. Many people have grown up in church their whole life. They know what Jesus looks like. They remember his picture from Sunday school. They believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. It is a historical fact. They have seen that. But they have turned Jesus Christ into a religious person that has done something. But they have never understood that Jesus Christ is a historical person. But that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. And he died on the cross for our sin, for your sin. So that you can be one in Christ and live a completely different life as you follow Christ. He is Lord. He is the only Lord. And there is no other way. But yet we have treated Christ as some just thing that we fit in in our convenience or some thing that we try to acknowledge at the end of the day. Oh, the hypocrisy of standing before the Pharisees and they said, we're going to kill him because he did something on the Sabbath. We're going to kill him because he said he is the Father. And our world is no different today. There's not a day goes by that we deny who Jesus Christ really is. Jesus Christ is really Lord and he is the Savior of the world. He is not an option. He is the option. He is not a way. He is the way. Now we think about that from a theological apologetic standpoint and we'll argue that and believe that. Yes, preach preacher. But it's also something we need to bring into our heart and our life. You know the most important thing in our life, and every time I say this, moms get mad at me. So just right now, every mother say, Pastor, we love you. You need to love Jesus Christ more than you love your children. Amen? You need to love Jesus Christ more than your kids. You need to love Jesus Christ more than your future. You need to love Jesus Christ more than anything else. The most important thing in our life, if you're a dad sitting here today, the most important thing you can do is to provide for your family. And what you need to provide for your family is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as Him being Lord and King of your life so that God would use your life to make a difference in your children's life. And here's where I'm at in my life, not only in my children's life, but my grandchildren's life. That hit home this weekend to me. My child is going to be raising my grandchildren. How did I raise my child? Did I raise my child to honor and fear the Lord? Or did I raise my child to go to church because you have to? You're the preacher's kid. If I've raised my child to go to church because he's the preacher's kid, I guarantee you once he's out of my house, he'll stop going to church because he doesn't have to. And he's going to raise my grandchild in a home that doesn't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and the, and the sufficiency of Christ and the sufficiency of the church in their life. 
You want to have a bunch of grandchildren that are going to be a burden in your life and you'll be anguishing over them forever? Raise your children not to honor and fear the Lord, Dad. Jesus Christ should be the most important thing in our life. Living for Him and honoring Him and following Him. We're no different than the Pharisees if we don't acknowledge who Christ really is with our life. It's easy to say we acknowledge Christ. What is the statistics? We're 85, 95, all these percentage. We're a Christian nation. Friends, we are not a Christian nation. If George Washington went to church, that doesn't make us a Christian nation no more than me saying my home is a Christian home. What makes a home a Christian home is when people in that home follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ and worship Him and Him alone. What makes a nation Christian is when the nation bows their heart and knee to King Jesus. We're not a Christian nation. That's okay. It's all right. That's why we're here, to make a difference and to spread the gospel. But we don't just declare something and make it Christian. We just don't declare our home Christian. We are a Christian home when we love and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And our greatest joy is living for Him. And we want to make fun of the Pharisees. We're no different. Verse 19. So that was kind of the intro. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, listen, listen, listen. Focus, focus is what Christ is saying. This is important. This is true. So Jesus said to them, verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. A great passage of the deity of Christ for the father loves the son and shows him all that he has all that he and himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will remember who he's talking to an unbelieving Jewish audience who is the gospel of John written to? A people so that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Remember John 20? I write these things so that you might know and believe. Jesus is saying these things so that we may believe that Jesus Christ is a historical figure, but Jesus Christ is God. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that may all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We believe, the Pharisees believed in God. They believed in the coming Messiah. They knew they needed deliverance, but they didn't believe that God was who he says he was in Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel wanted deliverance, but they wanted deliverance from the, the Roman Empire. The Israelites wanted to, the, the rule and reign of God, but they wanted the rule and reign politically and socioeconomically over the, the nation of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ delivers us from sin. And the rule and reign in our life is in the lordship of Jesus Christ and the rule and reign of God in our life. 
See, the Pharisees wanted things to happen. We may be here this morning and say, you know what, I want to I become a Christian. I want to I be morally a good person. I think I'm going I'm to become a Christian today. Well, you cannot become a Christian today until you realize that the problem is not the stuff out here, that the problem is we need Christ because of who we are. We need, we need deliverance from self. See, sometimes we say, well, you know, I think I'm going to give this Christian thing a try and I'm going to become a believer because I want my life to be successful and I want to be a good home. And it's like a, a moral good thing we do. No, we become a Christian when we realize I need to be saved from myself. I am dead in my trespasses and sin. I am hopeless. There is no hope apart from Christ. And sin is always the issue. I need forgiveness of sin, and that is only found in Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, verse 24, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now here. What you see in the teachings of Christ and the Gospels in the New Testament, you always get this already and not yet a time is coming but is already here there's a futuristic kingdom but there's the present rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ I am already born again we'll talk about this in a moment I am already born again but the ultimate glorification is when I have a new body physically reunited with my new soul spiritually there's a constant already I am saved I'm growing in Christ, but it's not yet fully realized until the Lord returns. That doesn't mean that the already is not important. I'm excited about the already, but think about what the not yet's going to be about. I think about Harvey Keller's service this past week. Good life. The already. What do you think the not yet was like the other morning? We, we have to be excited about the already or we're not going to be excited about the not yet. That's one of the problems that we as pastors struggle with. We can't, we can't get people thinking about the not yet because we can't get them getting going about the already. We need to be excited about the already so that we will understand the not yet. An hour is coming, but it's not here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in itself, so he has granted the Son also to life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Last verse, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. Lord, we thank you for your precious word this morning. We thank you for what a great passage that demonstrates so clearly your deity and your oneness with the Father as the Son with the Spirit. So Lord, show us very clearly this morning in our own mind, but especially in our heart, who you are. Do we know you? Have we received you? 
Have we placed our faith in you? Or we truly acknowledge you by the way that we live our life? Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Two big picture, two big points here. This is what Jesus is saying. He's looking at whoever. He's looking at mankind. He's specifically looking at the Jews. He's looking at us this morning and he says two things. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is who Jesus Christ is. He is not a historical figure. A historical figure. It wouldn't be like you Google. I, I can't, um, sometimes I get sidetracked. Can you imagine I get sidetracked? I'm confessing. Confession is good for the soul. I am the one. You know how you can be like uh, on a website and off to the corner they'll say 28 of the most beautiful churches in America or the world. I guess I'm, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I don't do the weird crazy stuff but like hey I can be right in the middle of an article 28 churches so I'm just like so I, I clicked on that and I was looking at all the 28 beautiful churches and, and one of them says that it's a it's a beautiful church built hundreds of years ago but now it represents all the fates of I'm like really I bet you I'm not a gambling man because Baptists don't do that I bet you, though, when they built that church, there was one faith they were concerned about. God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God. But now, the pillars represent the many faiths throughout our world. That is blasphemous and a lie from the depths of hell. The world believes it. Most of the world will believe that. I would submit to you this morning that true biblical Christianity is going to become a smaller and a smaller and a smaller percentage. I don't mean that to be alarming or to, to make us fearful because, hey, narrow is the way that leads to life and there are few that find in it, but great is the way to destruction and everybody wants to go that route doesn't take away what God is doing. It doesn't take away from the zeal of evangelism and missions. I think before the Lord returns, you will see pockets of revival. But I think, just, just I believe, as Scripture teaches, there's going to be a fewer and a fewer and a fewer percentage of people, especially in America, that profess faith in Christ because it's going to be more and more dangerous and more and more difficult to profess faith in Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's dealing with that. This is who I am. Look at verse 17. I am one with the Father. He's just simply saying, this is who I am. I'm God. It's not a, a, a list. Of, you know, going back to what I was going to say earlier, it's like you, we want to print out a piece of paper all the, the, the faces of religion. And we got, it'd be like a, a spackling of, you know, top ten religious figures in America. Top ten deities. I mean, just to be a list of all these isms and things out there. No. There's only one. And Jesus is saying, I am one with the Father. Why do, why do we get, where do we get that? Notice that word, my. My Father. That was a, 
That would have, that would have caused the Pharisees to go, whoa, hey, what in the world? Nobody says my father. The Jews would not even say the name God in a personal way. Nobody can address God in that way. And Jesus said, my father. I am one with the father. I think it's kind of funny. I think what, what Christ is saying initially there, hey, listen, my father is the father of the Sabbath. My father works on the Sabbath. I am with the father. I work on the Sabbath. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd have probably said it a little differently. Aren't you glad I'm not Jesus? I'd have probably said something sarcastic like, don't tell me what to do. It's my day. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the God of creation. Don't tell me what I can't do on my day. I heal whoever I want to. Aren't you glad I'm not like Jesus, though? It's his day. How often do we tell Jesus what we think he ought to be doing on our day? How many times have we been guilty of this? I knew he wouldn't do it. I prayed and I knew he wasn't going to do it. I knew he wasn't going to do it. He said he would, but he won't. I said I'd, I'd, I said I'd go to church four times in a row, and if I went that fourth time and all my bills didn't get paid, I wasn't coming back. Really? Well, I'll give this, a, I'll do this if he'll do that, or if I can do this and he can do that. I've had people even say this, all right, I'll give this church a try, but what do I have to give up? What? He's God. A relationship with Christ is a relationship with God, the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And he loved us enough to send his son that we might know him in a real and a personal way. One of the greatest joys I have in knowing about my faith in Christ is that he knows me by name. He knows me. He was up in heaven the other, the other day when I was reading his watch this. He's so ADD, he's going to read that article about the church right in the middle of that sentence. Oh, Because he loves me. He knows me. He says, my father and I are one. I want to read ten points about the Trinity. I do not have time to unpack those. But if I can figure out a way to do it and not be plagiarizing. And if I can get permission to do so, I will post it on the, uh, my, my sermon note site, pastorjohnbeck.com. And so that is my site that... The week after I preach a message, if I've said something in sermon notes, I just plaster everything on there. So I need to get permission from this guy to do that so that I don't, uh, I don't, I don't believe in plagiarism. What Christ is saying here is that he and the Father are one. And it is a great understanding in the teaching of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity throughout Scripture. Ten points that Kurt Daniels references about the Trinity. And if I can get in touch with him and post it, I'll give you all his commentary. One, the Trinity is one of the most mysterious mysteries there is. There, there are many things in Scripture we don't understand. We don't have to understand it. But we can believe it. There's no earthly example to the Trinity. We Water, steam, and ice, father, dad, son... Uh, you know, I've, I've heard of, you know, uh, uh, four-leaf clover. All, all these things we try to, ex you cannot explain the Trinity because nothing that we can think of fits. It is one of the greatest mysteries of the mysteries of the Bible, but it is okay. 
It's all right that we cannot understand it fully, but we can believe it as being the truth. The Trinity is taught in the Bible. Number three, there is only one God. The members of the Trinity are equal, but yet the members of the Trinity are not identical. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all God. But the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, the Spirit is not the Son. Sometimes even in my talking, I kind of slip up and, and almost allude to that, that. You know, you get talking so fast. But the Trinity, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Fa- they are not identical, but yet they're equal. That's why we can't explain it. Because I am the Son, I am the Father. I'm not individually. So you can't explain it on earthly terms. That's good. The Father is God, the Son is God. Number eight, the Son is eternally begotten by the Father. So for those that take notes, let me back up. I get in trouble all the time. You went from one to eight again. The Trinity is most important, is, a, is one of the mysteries of mysteries. The Trinity is taught in the Bible. There is only one God. The members of the Trinity are equal. The members of the Trinity are not identical. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Son is eternally begotten by the Father. That's kind of hard to understand. It is the Father that begot the Son. It is the Father that the Son prays to. So it's the Father. A lot of times in in Scripture when you see God, it's referring to God the Father. The Father begot the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father, the Spirit comes from the Father and Jesus Christ sends the Spirit. So you understand, my goodness, what's going on? Here's the way I look at stuff like that. If I could understand it, it wouldn't be great to me. I mean, if I could sit down on paper and go, Matt, come to my office. I finally clearly understand and can articulate in human terms how the Trinity is. Matt's not even going to get up out of the desk because he knows I can't do it. You can't be done. and We don't have to do it. That's what makes God God. See, that's what the world does. We want to put God in our image so that we can understand it. We we don't have to understand it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is standing there and he says, I am God. I can see the old Pharisees. You say that one more time, we're going to kill you. And can you imagine what Jesus Christ is saying? Yes, you will. And that's what I came for you to do. So take Jesus today. Take what we have turned Jesus into. Just believe in Jesus and be saved. We we, we have dumbed down Jesus to some, I don't even know, it's like an activity in our life. You can have Jesus and you have this and you have this and you have that. And on Sunday we do Jesus and on Wednesday, if you're really committed, you do Jesus on Wednesday and Sunday. And it's just like an activity in our life. No, he's God. He's God. And he came for our sin. You want to talk about love? So that we may know him and have truth. Now, you think about it. Here's John's world. I can either live a life based on hope in me, or I can live a life based on my hope in God. Dads, again. I want to raise my family, and I've got to figure this thing out. And I'm going to raise my family and the eternal souls of my family and the eternal destiny of my family and and all of the future of my family is resting in me or in the God I follow. Parents, the most important relationship in your life is with Jesus. 
what Christ has provided. I want to raise godly children, so uh, we're going we're to be good Christian people and go to church on Sunday and Wednesdays because Jesus is an activity in my life. No, Jesus is Lord of your life. He is your life. He is the consummation of your life. All of your life circles around Christ and the gospel. Then you raise your family. The same God that created the universe is our personal Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just a figure or an activity. He and the Father are one. So this is who he is. Number one, verse 17, he and the Father are one. Number two, verse 19, he does nothing on his own. Everything that Christ did was because God had sent him to do so. Look there in verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord. There's nothing that takes place without God understanding it and God ordaining it or God being behind it. The Pharisees didn't just one day decide they're going to kill Jesus and Caiaphas one day decided we're going we're gonna to arrest him and they didn't like... You know, God's beeper didn't go off. His text message didn't go off in heaven. Oh, my goodness, see if it's just arrested Jesus. What are we going to do now? Everything that happens is because God is allowing it to happen. He sent Jesus Christ to face death because he knew it had to happen for us. Jesus had to be condemned and beaten and judged and crucified so that we may even sit here today. Aren't you grateful God has a redemptive plan of history? Christ did nothing on his own. And then third, as we look at this is who he is. He is one with the Father. He does nothing on his own. Look at verse 20. He's loved by the Father. For the Father loves the Son. Could you imagine, think back to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus in the flesh, he's man but he's God, and we see a great picture of the deity and the man coming together. He, remember how he prayed, Father, Father, take this cup from me. And you see Christ pleading, almost like, is there another way? And then God the Son, God the Father said, no, it's not. And he stood up and said, come. Let us go. It was immediately arrested. Does that mean that the father did not love the son? No, that meant that the father loved the son so much he allowed him to go and do that for us. And so Jesus is standing before the Pharisees and they're condemning him because they think they have gone against the father. And, and, and Jesus says, listen, the father and I are one. I do nothing on my own. The Father loves the Son. For us, as we think about that, notice what Jesus had come to do. So secondly, this is what Jesus has come to do. Verses 21, 25, and 26. Notice there in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Let me tell you what Christ does. Christ gives life. 
We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And what Christ came to do was to give life. Now when we think about giving life, yes, there's a, an eternal life. There's an eternal life when we think about heaven. But he comes to give life now. Think back to your salvation. I don't know where, how old you were. I don't know. You know, I hate to say it this way. Sometimes adult believers kind of can grasp this a little bit more. Someone that came to know Christ a little later in life. Some of us, what a great blessing, were just raised in church your whole life. There was never a point you didn't really understand who God was. Yes, there was a point in time you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ. But sometimes an adult, we understand what forgiveness is all about. I can go back in my life and see, and I, I talk about men because I am one. To see grown men coming down, uh, a big football player from the University of Louisville. He played football at the University of Louisville. And he'd been coming to church with us for months and weeks. And I've been encouraging and praying and witnessing to him. And I knew that I couldn't save him. All I could do was share the gospel and pray for him. And I'll never forget the day he just jumped up out of a seat. And he knew he needed to come forward and make a decision to follow the baptism. And he knew by doing that he was professing his faith in Christ. And he was just weeping. And he had the hymnal in his hand. And I was like, okay, I, what do I do with the hymnal? I mean, put the hymnal down. Weeping, weeping, weeping. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. You know what happened? He realized who he was, and he realized who he needed to become. And he understood that only Jesus Christ could do that. See, that's what the gospel message does. We, somebody said, well, how do, how do you witness? We're going to conclude some things tonight. By the way, let me say this. ADD kicked in. I know I didn't get to finish the questions from Sunday night, so we're going to look at the age of children in heaven and accountability. I will do that tonight. Uh, Pastor Matt, I'm sorry. Nothing personal. I do want you to help answer that question. Every time we deal with that question, Matt's not here. So many people said, you didn't get to the last question. I will finish that question tonight, I promise. But last Sunday night, we talked about evangelism. What is evangelism? The sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I have to dress up like a clown and juggle flaming darts to get somebody to be saved, if I have to take a, a bar and bend it over my head so people can get and I'm not saying, no, don't throw stones at me. You'll think, well, I've seen that and I liked it. I'm just saying, if I have to do that to get you to respond to the gospel, I don't trust in the gospel. If I have to do something to make the gospel not the gospel, I want to do just the opposite. I don't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. How do you share the gospel? With the word of God. I don't want anything else to get in the way. But don't tell them too much. They won't get saved. If I don't tell them enough, they won't get saved. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ is the only one that gives life. And the only way that we can allow Jesus Christ to give us life is they have to understand who Jesus Christ is, why Jesus Christ came, and how that affects us. We have to know our need for a Savior and the remedy for that need. We have to present the gospel. I don't want any distraction from what the gospel is because Jesus Christ alone is the one that gives life. One of my greatest fears has been is I have encouraged a false decision. Now, you can't lose your salvation. One of my biggest fears is I've created some type of emotional something and someone's made a decision based on what I've done with their emotion rather than what the gospel has done for their hearts. 
The gospel is enough. He imparts life. He gives new life, new creation. The word sanctification is the idea that there's a newness that has taken place and that we are set apart and that we are growing in that relationship. Jesus Christ comes to do that. Secondly, what he came to do, look at verses 25 and then 28 and 29. 28 and 29, do not marvel this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Not only does Christ come to give life, but he also come and he raises the dead. I still think there needs to be some special pastor glasses. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know how well. It wouldn't be too cool because if I could see your heart, I'd be staring at you the whole time I'm preaching. But wouldn't it be cool if there was a way we could see when someone gets saved? Wouldn't that be awesome? I know I think weird. You don't get saved when you walk an aisle and talk to me. If, you're, if you get saved in a building, it's when you realize you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. Not coming here and talking to me or just playing a music. But wouldn't it be kind of cool if you could see it happen? It would probably scare us all to death that we could see the spiritual realm of things that were going on. But you're dead and your trespasses and sin. But God makes you alive. God quickens your heart. And boom, I'd have to stop preaching. And go, Whoa, they didn't get saved back there in the back. Woo! Wouldn't that be awesome? We are dead in our trespasses and sin. And Jesus Christ makes us alive. We are dead. Depraved, lost, hopeless, nothing. The valley of dry bones, Ezekiel calls it. But it is God, it is Jesus Christ, like Lazarus, come forth. I got so tickled at Vacation Bible School. And for those teachers that have faithfully taught the Bible study for children for so many years, thank you for letting me do it this year. You may never get it back. I taught the kids. We had a visitor at our church. I won't say his name. His granddaddy's in here. But evidently, he's, he comes, his church... One of the little cowboys. I think with their church must focus them. They must have the King James version a little more than we're used to. And I said something about what did Jesus say to Lazarus when he to come out of the tomb? And the little old cop said, "Come forth, Lazarus." I said, "I like that right there. That boy's got some king. That boy's gonna be a little preacher boy." He said, "Come forth, Lazarus." That's what Christ does. Come forth, John. Come forth. You're not dead anymore. Only Christ can do that. When you, when you turn on the news today and you see all the things that just makes you sick at your stomach, what do we do? We plead the blood of Jesus Christ. We share the gospel. We live the gospel out. We are so focused on the only thing that's going to help any dead soul is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we believe the gospel. That's why we sing the gospel. That's why we preach the gospel as a church. That is the only help. Only Jesus can say, come forth. He raises the dead, some for eternal life of joy, some for eternal life of judgment. Think about it this way. We all have eternal life. Every one of us. If you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. 
in glory. If you're an unbeliever of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever too, but you're going to live in a, in a place of punishment and judgment. Every one of us have eternal life. Either with the presence of the Lord in joy or in hell and punishment. Now there will be a, a raising of the dead when we die, just real quick, when I die... If the Lord does not return first, when I die, immediately my, my, my soul goes into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in paradise. I just call it heaven. I won't get technical. It's just heaven. Wherever Jesus is, I'm going to be there. Y'all going to put my body in the ground. That is a reminder of sin and the fall of, of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. But part of being a believer is we also get a new body. So part of the great joy is, yes, when I die, I go to heaven. But part of the great joy is when the Lord returns, that old body is going to come up out of the ground. If Sharon decides to cremate me and put me on a little locket around her neck, I don't know what that's going to look like. Her neck's going to explode, and I'm going to come out of that thing going, woo! If that happens and you remarry, honey, divide me and put the other half on the new husband. I just want him to know I'm around. <laughs> a little locket of John around your neck. Just to remember old John. But then our earthly body is going to be made new as well. So yes, immediately I go to be with the Lord. But in the resurrection of the dead, as a believer, immediately my body is going to be joined with my soul. And I'm going to have a new body. So we weep. And we anticipate when we lay that body in the ground that one day that thing's going to bust open and where a new body is going to join our soul. To an unbeliever, that new body is going to join that soul in hell for all eternity. But that's what Christ does. He raises the dead. He imparts life. He raises the dead. Verses 22 and 27, he judges all men. He is the judge. I love those t-shirts. Nobody judges me but God. You got that right. I, I'm gonna have the, one day I'm going to have the boldness to do that. Because most of the time they're making fun of God or us. Nobody judges me but God. I just want to tap him on the shoulder. You're right. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, you're right. Who are you to judge me? It is not my job to judge you. That's what Jesus Christ does. Let me read real quick, John 3, 16 and following. You listen. I turn you back there. You might not turn back. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God loved the world. He didn't send the world. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. This is why. For God did not send his son into the world to them, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only son of God. Jesus is coming to judge the world. I didn't, he didn't come to condemn the world because apart from Christ, we're condemned already. Judgment has been passed. We are separated from God without Christ. You, you already condemned. What Jesus Christ does is he forgives us of our sin and he adopts us into the family and we're not lost and depraved. We are born again and alive with Christ. So that judgment is simply this. Those that are mine are mine. Those that are not mine are condemned already. 
But you know what the measuring rod is? God and his word. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What determines someone's identity, their, their writing in the land's book of life? Have they repented of their sin and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? So it is a righteous judgment. Notice verse 30 there. John 5, verse 30. I do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. My judgment is right, verse 30 says. Everything that God does is right. He imparts life. He raises the dead. He judges all men. And then the end of verse 30 will close with this. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you know what Christ does? He imparts that life into us. He raises the dead. He judges all men. And all he seeks to do is the will of the Father. I came that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ had a mission, redemption and reconciliation. That's it. To make all things new the the God of glory the God on the throne of glory's mission is redemption to make things right with him and that is only possible when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ let's stand as we pray Lord God we do thank you that you came And as odd as it may seem to say, Lord, I'm grateful that you faced that opposition and that you died so that I may have life. I pray now, Lord, for us, your people today, your church today, those in this room today, let us acknowledge you, Jesus, for who you are, for a biblical understanding of who you are as Lord and King, as Master, God, Jesus, God, you are God in the flesh. You are God. And let us understand that we do need to repent of our sin and bow our head and our heart as Lord and Master of our life. And I pray if there's anyone here today that needs to come to saving faith in you, let Lord God today that you would open up their eyes and mind and heart to the truth and they would repent of their sin and place their faith in you. And Lord, if there's those of us as believers today, let us see you not as an activity, not as a religious thing, or not as something we know we need to do, but that you are Lord of our life. Lord, we love you because you first loved us and pray these things in your name.